this series entitled, uh, Why Are You a Christian? And I wanted to share with you just very briefly some, what, what is going on here? Because it, over the last uh, six years or so that Spark has been around, five and a half years, um, and for those of you who've been in church any length of time, you get a lot of sermons preached at you. Yes? yes. Yeah, that's part of the core piece of what church is, I guess, supposed to be. And this particular series, um, we'd like to change it up. And rather than just a sermon a teach where the pastor shares or the teacher shares. We're actually going to have a conversation. This is unrehearsed, actually. I did share with them some of the questions that I wanted them to share about. But this is, a, this is kind of like, hey, we're sitting around a coffee table with children and a good <laughs> beverage. Um, okay, maybe we're missing out on the beverage there. And really asking some questions about uh, the core question, which is why are you a Christian, which stems from my talk from last week, um, from the first Peter chapter three passage, which is um, why uh, if, if somebody comes to you and asks you to give a reason for this hope that lies within you, how are you going to reply? We talked about that word apologia, the apology. How, how do you respond to that question when somebody says, so why do you believe this? So that's a little bit of what we want to pursue and dive into. And we're going to use two main categories of question. First, what is your story? And second, what is your struggle? So if, you, if there's anything that you can take away, I would love for you to remember two things. What is your story and what is your struggle in answering this particular question? Uh, a couple other things. Number one, we have asked, uh, this week we have Tom and Omer sharing. Uh, last, uh, next week we're going to have Marcus and Danielle sharing. And the week after that, I've asked two board members, uh, Pamela and Jason, to share. And I want to let you know that the reason why uh, we've selected them is because they're part of our leadership team. You get to know some of the leaders of Spark a little bit more. Um, but it is not because I think or we think they have better stories than anybody else. That's real. I want that to be really clear. We've selected them because they've opted into leadership roles and they've taken the responsibility to come and be a part of that public face of Spark. Um, but we hope that this series... And this conversation actually extends to your dining room table, to your living room, to your friends, to your small group, and maybe even to your coworkers. Um, so we want to just model a little bit of what I think um, a conversation could look like. So that's number one. We hope that all of us get to participate in this question, and you get to ask it of your friends, of your colleagues, of your family members. So what is it that you believe in? Why is it that you believe what you believe? I also think I mentioned before that this is not intended to answer the question as if we've come up with an answer, but that we've ultimately sparked dialogue and conversation very much in line with what Justin shared with us last week, that we get to listen and share. So um, we hope that uh, that is part of what this series uh, takes place. Okay. So, hi. Hi. How are you guys doing? Good, very good. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, first, I would like for you to, if you would be so kind, give us the three to five minute version of how did you become a Christian leading up to this particular point? And I might interrupt you along the way with some more piercing questions. Last thing, if any of you have a question, also interrupt because that's part of who we are. So please feel free to do so. And we'll see if we can get that question uh, for them as well. So, uh, Tom, maybe start just a little bit. Happy Share to do us it. Three yeah. to five minute story. How did you get to this particular point of identifying as a Christian? Even maybe if you don't, I don't know. So yeah. I, I don't want to presume anything. Sure, so. sure. So I grew up in a Christian family. 
uh, I think I've shared before, my first uh, memories as a kid uh, were of my parents doing ministry. Uh, my, my parents were uh, helping to lead a high school group, so I can remember them like, basically attacking my dad and throwing him into a lake, which I thought was very funny as a kid. And I remember my parents going into a uh, church in uh, Houston and doing a vacation Bible school. So I kind of grew up, but it wasn't until I was 12 years old where my parents kind of came to me and they said, hey, would you consider being baptized? Is this something that you might want to do? And, and, and given, I haven't, I mean, I've been going to church, but in terms of really understanding who Jesus is or all this theology and all this stuff that we think we have to all know, all I knew at that point in time is I was going because my parents were going, and I thought about it and decided, yeah, I want to do this just to begin learning and listening about who Jesus is. So I got baptized in a doughboy pool in the backyard with my best friend. And, you know, lights didn't go on and the world didn't change, but it was just, I think I always think of that as the beginning point for me to at least begin to become more aware of Jesus. And then probably two years, three years later, I was, um, would have been 16 years old, that's four years later, did the math, pretty good. Uh, I was in a, started going to this youth group in San Mateo, and the, the leader there was, he was fun, he was dynamic, he, he really seemed to have a good sense of his faith and was excited about it, and he asked me to come on, um, be a part of his, uh, his team, his leadership team, and I thought, that's great, I mean, he, he loved to hang out, we did great things, and, and I actually got into it, I mean, really into it to the point where I started reading my Bible, and I know this will sound weird, maybe cult-like, but I was reading my Bible an hour a day as a 16-year-old, every day. So I'd come home on Saturday night, 2 in the morning, if my parents, if I snuck past them at 2 in the morning, um, and then I would read for the next hour. And the weird thing is, truly, I actually enjoyed reading it. It wasn't like laborious. It was actually interesting, and um, I would pray regularly, I, and I started studying scripture, memorized 50 verses. And I would say, you know, you know, my sweet spot of my faith, that was my sweet spot, where I just felt like I was probably closer to Jesus in those, that period of time than probably any time. It probably was the innocence period, too. But it was, you know, it was a, it was a cool thing. And then uh, and it meant so much that I ended up becoming an intern or on staff at that church to help lead the Hillsdale High School uh, ministry. A little further forward, I'm now with Tammy. She's going to the same church. She was in the same youth group that we were in as well. She also was on staff. Um, but we eventually moved, and I went from what was a Baptist church, and I loved the Baptist church. They were nothing but great to me, and they love evangelism, but it was very literal. I mean, very much what the Scripture says is what it means, and at the time, at least the church I was at, the idea of looking at cultural history and how do you translate that. That wasn't necessarily the way we did it. We just read the scripture and you know what? It was very clear. I had all the answers. And then we went, Tammy and I went, went from that kind of environment to be uh, to a um, Assemblies of God church, which is now much more, if I use the term charismatic, meaning they believed in all the, you know, all the uh, gifts, spiritual gifts that you could have out there. So you mind you, I'm going from a Baptist church which believes these gifts are all dead because you know, we knew the answers. In fact, we, we were concerned about the Lutherans, the Methodists, Methodists, and the Catholics, that they weren't quite saved, to now be in another environment where they were, like, going to speak in tongues and do prophecy. And we had concerns, but we loved the pastor. And the pastor, actually, is now leading um, that church in Livermore Cornerstone. That, that was the pastor there. But they took us to this class. 
And they said, okay, we understand that some of you have come from different backgrounds. Let's write on the board what you believe. And so we all did. We threw up things. And now let's focus on what do we all believe. And what they wanted to point out in that service was, let's not worry about what we differ on. Let's focus on what we mainly agree with. And I think that was the secret of that church, even though they had a I think a denomination that was maybe further, I don't know if it's right, left, but more charismatic than I was used to. Went from there to an independent, and from an independent to a Presbyterian church, then ultimately here to Spark. And so I wanted to give you that backdrop just to say that over my short period of life, uh, we've had some transitions along the way from being very, you know, black and white literalist to being, you know, much more, if I can use the word progressive, uh, trying to hear God's word and, and, and do what God has to say. So for me, my journey has evolved, and I'm, I'm a different uh, person of faith today than I was back when I started out. Now, your, your vocation is uh, financial advising, right? That's right, that's and, right. But at some particular point, not too long ago, you decided to go back to seminary. Well, uh, decided to go to Yeah, seminary. I went to seminary. I wish I could say it wasn't that long ago. It took me nine years to get out. I'm a slow learner. I actually wanted to get the most I could out of the program. Yeah. No, it just took me a long, <laughs> a long time to get it. But I always felt like I had a call, like God was saying, maybe, maybe Tom, this is what you're supposed to do. And, I, and actually, when I helped out at that church that one year, I was kind of going, is this where I go? Is this what I'm supposed to do? And it turned out that everywhere we went when we moved, we went to Denver, we went to St. Louis, Tammy and me, and then we came back. It was always a seminary a mile away down the street. Mm. And I was like, am I supposed, you know, and I know it could be all coincidence, but I was interpreting, maybe I'm supposed to do that. And then where I live today, it's about a mile down the street. Mm. So, yes, went to Fuller uh, wow. Theological Seminary. That's amazing. And tell me why. Like, what was, the, what was the why behind ultimately making that decision to go? Yeah, so I, <clears throat> I find uh, pleasure where if I try to listen to God, and follow through with what he says. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's always what God's telling me to do, but that was a message that kept coming to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there was a church in this area that I tried to be a multi-site pa- pastor at, and they had said to me, you, well, you can't be a multi-site pastor. You don't have an MDiv. Mm-hmm. And that, I'd already started the program anyway, but that, I think that was affirmation too. Well, okay, I guess in this church business, they fully expect you to be credentialed, and, and not all churches do. But I guess if I use the term a Presbyterian church does, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Omer, would you mind sharing a little bit? Thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciate that. Omer, would you mind sharing a little bit of your story and journey? Totally. So it all began in the Chicago suburbs in a <laughs> middle-class Pakistani-American family. The, the reason that it's helpful to point that out is because in a lot of ways, my experience growing up was, was one that, that you could expect in a lot of ways for, for a Pakistani-American Muslim family. So uh, I was a Muslim for the first 17 years of my life. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old in, uh, in my junior year in high school. And growing up, I was always really interested in just religion and trying to like know what is real and what is true. Uh, I was always um, scientifically or you know math oriented as well. And so for me, it was actually it all kind of grouped together in in the sense that I was very very passionate about seeking truth, and uh, I felt like, uh, for me, the, the defining characteristic of my faith was that, you know, I was a Muslim because I believed that it was true, uh, and I wanted to live it out. 
And uh, as I'm sure you all have experience with across many different faith traditions, that's not necessarily the main reason that people would claim to be a Christian or a Muslim or anything like that. So I know that a lot of people in my own circles growing up were nominally Muslim in the sense that they, you know, if you ask them, you know, why are you Muslim? They would say, because I'm Pakistani American. Similarly, I knew a lot of Christians growing up who, when I would ask them questions about the Bible or about Jesus, I would often get answers like, uh, I don't know, I just, uh, I'm a Christian because my parents are, or I'm a Christian because I was baptized in such and such church. And, uh, and so it wasn't until I was 17 years old that I encountered um, a really great friend of mine um, who, who I felt like was looking for the same thing that I was. But he was a Christian and I was a Muslim. And we were like so comfortable talking about our differences and similarities between Christianity and Islam. And we were both uh, together really interested in figuring out what is true and what is accurate and how can we know things about the competing claims that those faith traditions make. Um, and so, you know, during that time period that, that, uh, I was having these discussions with my friend. It really boiled down for me to two big things. One is um, uh, the historical Jesus. In other words, what can we actually know about what Jesus said and did and claimed for himself? And, uh, and then the second part is, does the Bible reliably tell that story? And I think for me, those were the two biggest differences that I felt at the time between Islam and Christianity and in my dialogues with, with my friend. And um, during that period, like uh, in high school and talking with him and studying and debating and hashing things out, I came to believe that, that the Gospels, the way that they portrayed Jesus, is accurate or is, uh, it is reliable. It reliably tells us what, uh, what Jesus is all about. And so, like, once, once I was heading in that direction, uh, like, actually leaving Islam and becoming a Christian was actually, like, a pretty fast process. And it was very, it was, uh, seemed dramatic to a lot of my friends and family. And, um, and so that, that was when, uh, when I became a Christian. I think I remember that the, the very night that I came to, to be sure that Jesus is Lord, I was baptized immediately, and then I went home to tell my parents what had happened. So uh, after that, um, just for context, I think some of you know this from stories I've told at different times. So when I became a Christian, my parents disowned me, and uh, we have not had, like Christine and I and our family, we have not had uh, contact with them since that time. So that was those. Uh, 16 years ago. Um, and uh, my friend who taught me about Jesus, his family took me in at that time. We've been a part of their family ever since. When we go back home to Chicago, that's who we're staying with. You know, the parents in that family are our kids' grandparents, our siblings are their aunts and uncles uh, and all of that. We hold out hope that maybe our relationship with my parents will change someday. It hasn't uh, for the most part uh, yet. But, um, but yeah, that's, how, that's, that's basically how, how I became a Christian. That's crazy. Um, one of the things, um, <laughs> you already know this, when Omer and uh, Danielle and I met Christine and Omer, one of the things that was so astounding is that uh, this study, this reading, like all the books that you know, are on seminary shelves, Omer uh, already had. Mike, I'm kind of curious, you mentioned that this study is one of this primary way, one of the primary avenues for you um, in the trans, like your conversion story, if we can call it a conversion yeah, story. I do. Um, 
how much study did you have to do? I mean, there's so much out there. Yeah. At what particular point did like the study and the history, archaeology, all of that kind of stuff um, make a difference? Like, did you have to do? Did you have to go through every single jot and tittle, every single uh, like avenue of every single scholar of uh, both liberal and conservative, or was there a fairly consistent move? Like, okay, this is sub- substantial. This is substantial. Right. I'm kind of curious where and and. And I'm presuming the study just continued. So how much how yeah. much of that study was so important for the formation of your faith? And then how much of that study then continues because it was so much a part of your conversion story? Right. Yeah, well, uh, I think that if, if I was if I was trying to be so thorough as to go through like every single argument everyone has ever made about every part of the Gospels, it never would have happened to be overwhelming. The great thing about just life and following Jesus is that, you know, you, God meets you where you're at. And as a 17-year-old, there was, there was a certain amount that I think I could have handled at the time. And I think that's, that capacity has grown to study more and learn more. But back then, it's not like I knew about... Um, many of the things that that we talk about and preach about here and uh but it nevertheless like it was at the time i do remember like spending hours and hours at the library after school and after practice and things like that and like talking to my friends for hours reading stuff online all the time but really like for me it kind of boiled down to a couple basic questions and i actually think that it's one of the reasons that um I have not gotten uh, derailed um, in in my faith over the years since then. Like, I was not concerned about, at the time of my conversion, about making sure that every single detail about the Gospels was historically accurate. Like, in other words, like a view of inerrancy that we often have. Because for some Christians... That is a critical question. And if it turns out that the Gospels have any kind of errors whatsoever, the whole thing falls apart. The cool thing is when you're coming at it from the outside, for me, it was like, I'm not looking for like 100% accuracy. I just want to know the gist, like, where is this going? We'll sort the details out later. And so that's the thing, right? Like when it comes to like a, a key difference between Islam and Christianity, a lot of it actually revolves around um, whether and how Jesus died and whether he came back from the dead. And I kind of focused the, you know, my, that was like priority number one to try to sort through. And in that process, you know, I came, I came to believe that on balance, what it looked like the, the accounts of the gospels were, were telling was true. In the years since then, of course, you know, I've, had, I've worked through so many of those details and will continue to, but uh, it started relatively simply. That's, that's amazing. It's, uh, I'm still blown away by that story. Uh, Tom, I wanted to ask you, so that's story, and that's like a brief, just, and it's amazing how the paths, I mean, you're both here at Spark now, and the paths that you've taken are very different paths, um, but they still um, kind of converge in some really uh, profound and amazing ways. Uh, Tom, I wanted to uh, now shift a little bit to struggle, um, and then we can be very uh, gentle and discreet where we need to be, but you've uh, part of your journey of being in leadership or a part of or involved with so many different churches is that you've got to see church and Christian expression in church, not only from the outside or as a participant, from, but from the inside, like from the leadership standpoint, being an elder, uh, being behind those doors where those meetings are happening. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about what were some of the good things about seeing it from that side maybe, and maybe what are some of the struggles? And then I'm going to push you um, from... 
you know, sharing some of that to why you still continue yeah. after some of the yeah. things that you've seen from behind those, yeah. behind the veil, I suppose, that some people, you know. Mm-hmm. Have. Let me lead into that, um, and I will go right to that. But as I thought about the struggles, coming from where I came from, I had a certain viewpoint of how things were. And I found that in life, they actually didn't always work out that way. So in other words, my leaders, my preachers, my pastors would tell me that God was always going to protect you. Basically, I had like a bodyguard God that I would never get hurt. My family would never get hurt. And the truth is, people get sick. People die. People get hurt. I mean, I'm, my, one of my biggest struggles as a new father was with my first kid when uh, 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 Courtney would start getting would get sick and she had bad asthma. And to have a doctor come to you and say, hey, she may not live. And it's like, and I, 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 my prayers, I go, God, I give you everything. I, you know, I, uh, I live my life for you. Uh, you take me. I, you know, I, I'm devoted to you. And I'm praying to you honestly and with good, good intent. You know, take care of my daughter. And, and she wasn't getting better. So that was a struggle as I went through that. But I think that came back because of my view of God wasn't necessarily, I think, the God that I view today in the sense that I do believe God cares for me. And which I didn't grasp at that time was that my God cares more for my daughter than I care for my daughter, which is hard to believe. But it was struggles when people would teach you things like that. Uh, When uh, pastors would teach me basically, again, from my early days, that I could have like a boyfriend-girlfriend kind of God, meaning God would always be with me. God, you know, you should always be present with God all the time. And maybe that's, remember when I was reading my Bible and praying so much, you know, I was like, I was trying to get that immersed in my faith. And when all of a sudden I realized God's not always with me. He wasn't always with Mother Teresa. I mean, that's not the way it always worked out, but it made me feel guilty and like it wasn't working. And so some damaging theology related to that, including those stories of Abraham, you know, going to kill his son. And how does that work? Do we really, you know, work? And the answer was, well, you should love God enough that you would kill your son. And it's like, who believes in a God like that? But at the time, it was almost just believe and don't think. You know, which is back to like the anti-science God. You just believe this. I looked so hard to bring in today my, my little folder that I did when I was 15 that was all about evolution and, you know, the missing, you know, link and how it all fits together. We had people come in. And over time, I think I evolved and that didn't work. But definitely there were periods of times where I would have leadership that, let me just start with the first one, who would fail? And fail because of bad behavior. And Probably many people in this room have experienced a leader that you look up to and you respect, and they just blow up. I mean, the wheels come off the car, and, you know, so back to my youth leader that, I, you know, he took me um, to my sweet spot, as I called it. And then he, toward the end there, started drinking with staff, which in and of itself isn't the end of the world, but then he started sleeping around with some of the high school students and that's found out, and then all of a sudden he's rushed out of Northern California pretty quickly and transported, like passing the problem on to Southern California. But for me at the time, as young in faith, that was like I had my belief in God, and I did. But this leader was also really important to my faith, and that made me struggle big time about, huh, that's not, it's not lining up. And so I, for, for you know years, I would kind of like thinking that through, but... I think what I ultimately came down is the good news, bad news. The good news, no, the bad news is that he messed up and that kind of 
put me a little bit on a different trail for a little bit. The good news is that happened to me at a young age. So that as I would go to other churches, I could walk into it in a healthy mindset, but also have a healthy view of my pastors, that they're people, and they may screw up, and there's a, that is not my God. This is my God. My pastors hopefully are helping me. My leaders are hopefully helping me to understand and learn God, but there's a big difference between the two. I think that's, see, this is, uh, it feels like such a tension and a struggle um, because how we experience God or how we experience our faith um, is set up in a way that we experience God and our faith through other people and through people who teach and through people who lead and through people who share and stuff like that. So, I mean, this is, um, I don't know, I don't have a question. I'm just kind of venting here. I mean, because I've got... I've got positive examples of people. Right. I mean, like, you know, Tammy, she, like, she always uh, is pushing me in my faith and bringing me books from uh, Rob Bell, you know, and, uh, his new uh, book. Uh, the, I forget the name of it. What, is the, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? A great book. And she gives me uh, Rachel Held Evans, Searching for Sunday. She gives me Francis Collins, Language of God, to kind of wrestle with science and faith. And I think of... Uh, a guy, Todd Johnson, who tells me about faith in action, or Dave Peterson, who helps me learn about transparency in life. Yeah. And, yeah, people, it can go both ways. Yeah. And I guess the last example would be um, situationship and leadership where a, uh, a leader may choose, wants the church to go a certain direction mm-hmm. and may do whatever it takes to make it go that direction. You know, and the intent may be good. May not always be good, but may be good, and generally I believe it's good. But their approach can sometimes be not full of disclosure. So, case in point, there was a church that was thinking of changing denominations. And the point of changing denominations is because they wanted to grow, and the current denomination they are in was going to probably hold that back. But there were other issues that were not being discussed that were important in that decision. And the, and the whole idea of changing with the leadership was it was a, a campaign. It wasn't, okay, here's this denomination. This, let's think it through, which one's right. It was a campaign to get something pushed through. And it just seemed um, not, full of, uh, not full of truth, not the full truth, a little bit misleading. And that's hard to see. Um, but, I, you know, for myself, it was nice to have... Friends, where you can talk about this. You know, I'm, in a, I'm a group of uh, 10 men that I week, meet with every week. I've been doing it for 15 years now. You just share openly what it's like to have a support group to help you get through things like that. Yeah, now, during that period of time, you, you, you mentioned something to me earlier that I just absolutely loved. You, you, had, you and Tammy had to make a decision as to how much you were going to continue to be committed to that particular congregation because of all these shifts and changes. Like, they're heading in a particular direction, but you're feeling maybe uncomfortable or not necessarily on board with that. Tell me a little bit about that journey and what ultimately made the shift for you to continue to follow Jesus but needing to have to shift congregations, shift churches and stuff. Yeah. um, So at that church, I think they're good people. They're doing great things. I think I've changed. I think that's what's going on. I'm growing in, in my faith in a way that's a little bit different from the other church. But what would happen is being in leadership, if you're in leadership, and, and I'm representing to all these people, you know, I'm, I'm in front, and everyone believes I'm thinking just like this church about how they're thinking, including, you know, sexual identity, and they all think I have the same view as they do, and I don't. And I felt like I was living a lie, you know, and I was... Uh, <clears throat> 
my values are different from, you know, it completely changed. And we never really would talk about it openly. Where this church, we talk about these things. But it wasn't talking. So it, my values had shifted. And I wanted to be at a church which was inclusive, that everybody is welcome, that in, in all aspects everybody is welcome. I want to be at a church where when something happens in the world, whether it's a shooting in Dallas and, um, and, and you know, shooting a black person in Dallas, that is a church, we come together and we talk about that, we get involved with that. And when that day happened, Tammy and I went to three churches to hear different opinions, and this was the only church that talked about it, lamented over what was happening there. So I wanted to be in a church that reacted and engaged. The first sermon that I had really came here, post the very first one, uh, was when you guys were all getting excited about, not excited, but you were very concerned about what was happening in Syria with the refugees. And it's like, let's go, because not every church wants to react to what's happening in the world. And so my point being, these were values that Tammy and I had changed to, and where we were at, that was different. Right. And I, that we just felt we had to be somewhere that lined up better who we were. And just to be clear, the values that you have now are not necessarily the values that you had 16, 20 years ago when you first were, like, became a Christian. No, they, so they, they changed. shifted and evolved they, over time. Yeah, they changed because of experiences, going to Ethiopia, you know, caring for people, going to seminary, reading books. I hope I'm not different. I'm different 20 years from now that yeah. I continue to search for God and be what he wants me to be at that time. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, thank you so much for sharing, Tom. Omer, your uh, journey has been one of uh, a study in academia and science, as you mentioned, the pursuit of truth. Um, and we're continually being pushed towards all sorts of different scientific discoveries, both in biology and neuroscience and, um, and all that kind of stuff. So one of my questions for you is how have you sustained belief in this thing called Jesus, this movement of Jesus, in the midst of what other people would say, well, we have scientific evidence of blah, 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 right. or we have historical evidence of that, or this clearly can't be true because of this. Right. So I'd be curious, how do you, how have you sustained that? What, what's been your journey? How have you wrestled with that? Sure. Yeah. And that, and I uh, especially feel that tension because I'm both the guy that says, I believe in Jesus and the guy that says, well, scientific studies show blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so it's, it's been something I've, uh, I've worked out for my whole life. Um, uh, for me, you know, the, this uh, struggle or tension between faith and science was something that was actually very real uh, early on in my uh, walk with Jesus. So right after I became a Christian, like, you know, the following year, I went off to college. And, um, you know, if, if you have a broad understanding of the commonalities between Islam and Christianity, then you may be able to deduce that. In that conversion, at no time would I have had to question the assumption of, like, that God exists and that I can know him. So for me, the, the, the conversion was, it was, there was always the underlying premise that God was, un, like God could be understood. It was just a matter of finding out the, like a, the true way to access him. But then when I went to college, I was exposed to a lot of views that even just, they just challenged the underlying assumption to begin with saying, who, who knows what's, uh, you know, what is true or not, or whether God is knowable or not, or whether there is a God. 
And often the, um, the dichotomy that was set up was that we either have scientific explanations to, uh, sci- yeah, science to help us understand why people believe in God, or we have religious explanations for, for why people believe in God. And, and it was tough for a while. Like I, uh, I found uh, an, an agnostic worldview very compelling. One of the, uh, that, you know, how can we know for sure, given so many competing claims um, that any of these individual things are true. But, but really part of what, uh, what uh, helped me through that struggle was... Um, Coming uh, across people who were, you know, had a scientific mindset, who also loved Jesus, talking to professors who, uh, you know, who navigated both worlds successfully, and uh, being opened up to this world in which those two things don't have to conflict with each other. And uh, there's a, you know, and one of the, I realize now that what I was fighting was two different versions of, um, you know, like a, there's a, a, a Christian side saying that. If, for example, you can use science to explain how the universe was made, therefore you don't need Genesis to explain it. And uh, you had scientists saying the exact same thing. And, uh, and there was this impasse there. It was like, just for me, a huge uh, realization was that those two things are not at all uh, incompatible with each other. That there's a, there are many scientists who uh, spend their lives believing both in the theory of evolution and in the truth of Genesis. And it's just a matter of trying to figure out what both uh, sides, uh, what stories both are telling. And, uh, and it was also during that time that I got, uh, I got an appreciation for the, the limits of what science can answer because I think for a minute there I was thinking science is it is the way and the only way to understand everything about the world and that is uh, a lot of scientists I mean a lot of them actually do believe that I think that that lacks what's called an epistemological humility in other words humility in what we think we can know from you know using one tool I don't at all believe anymore that science can answer all of the meaningful questions that that we have to answer in life like what is love and um, you know what exists beyond what we can see with our eyes and things like that and um, these days I find beautiful examples that kind of reinforce how compatible they are so um, good example like have you have you seen Black Panther I, for, I, I forget have we talked about this oh, before don't call me out in public oh I'm so sorry <laughs> it's it's you been have... on the to do list got it haven't all gotten right. there yet well yeah. all right so first of all how dare you not take care of that uh, I know, sooner. I... Uh, no, I, I understand. Se- second of all, this is a great example. I'm find a different church. <laughs> no, uh, this is a safe space safe for whatever space. movies you have and have not seen. Um, the, one of the beautiful things about Black Panther that I've always loved, even in, in that comic, is that the world that's presented in that movie, so there, there's the country that the main character comes from is a fictional country called Wakanda, and it's in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. But that country is deeply traditionalistically spiritual. There is a rich religious tradition that goes in that community, but there's, they are also the most technologically advanced and scientifically astute culture that exists on the planet. And in that world, in that little country of Wakanda, there's just presented this beautiful, seamless world in which there, nobody is expecting that if you're a great scientist that you don't believe in the ancient religious traditions of your community. In fact, they argue that, like, you could see many times where being in touch with both 
is uh, it helps you become better at both. And so, like, that's, there are so many examples like that where it's like alternate universes in which there doesn't have to exist uh, a competition between faith and science. And it's not a coincidence that um, the first time, like, a, a comic book hero movie explored it that way would be a movie featuring people of color. Because I think this dichotomy of, like, it's either faith or science is much more likely to occur in the Western world, among white people, in America and places like that where that's not as much of a struggle for, you know, the, develop, the developing world, the global south and places like that. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, uh, we need to bring this to a close, unfortunately. Um, these are the kind of conversations that I just love having with you guys. Tom, uh, somebody comes to you and says, I'm done with church. Why do you still participate why are you even still following Jesus? How do you respond to them? Yeah. Well, I think if I had the mindset of 10, 15 years ago, I may not be a Christian today either. Because mm. uh, there's definitely things happening in the world, and the church is representing it, and I don't know if I want to be a part of that church. But I do believe Mark 1 talks about the beginning of the good news of Jesus, mm. that it was good news back then. It gave hope for the, you know, the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, the people that were mourning, we have just as much of a need today for the good news of Jesus with what is already happening in our world. I mean, the things we were praying for earlier, from DACA students to immigrants to refugees to we, uh, you know, racial... Um, uh, uh, in, right now, we're not getting along in terms of our, our racial conflict, uh, power struggles, and... What I love about Christianity is this message of the kingdom of God, mm. that that is not the scoreboard that Jesus delivers. Jesus wants us basically just to love. Mm. And so I'm a Christian today because I love that message, and I've loved the way that I've seen God show up and deliver that message. Mm. You know, I think about it. I think you, many of you know I did a sermon a little bit on the storms, and I, I described this couple that had a, their child had brain encephalitis. Sad story. But to see 300 people come and wrap their arms around this family, that's God showing up. You know, I think of when uh, I went to Ethiopia and, uh, and uh, there was, we were with these people, the young kids that were trying to, when it needed to eat, and they were waiting in the long line and it began to rain. And my son was there. He's 10 years old and he's very white, especially at that time, and blonde hair. And so he stood out a little bit there in Ethiopia. And people, like 200 people, would come around and want to touch him. And he, it scared him to death because 200 people want to, not to hurt him, just to touch him. He, to see his arms and blood comes out. And, and um, it, as they were waiting in line, it started raining. And so my son was hiding kind of in the house. He didn't want to go out. It started raining hard. But all of a sudden, his heart changed. And he began to ask for my umbrella and Tammy's umbrella and Todd and Lil's umbrella. And he runs out there, and he gives the umbrellas away to the kids, and he puts up the umbrella to be with them. And to me, that was like God giving us a message of this is what faith is about. It's, it's, it's sharing. It's loving. That's the good news of Jesus. It's not about doing. You know? I think that's one of the things that's so beautiful about what you're sharing, and you mentioned it. If your heart hadn't have changed... Yeah then you don't know if you'd be following Jesus in the same way. Like You had to grow and mature, and, and you had your own spiritual journey, and it wasn't tied to any particular institution or tied to any particular pastor or leader. Right. You had to grow in and through all of that, and that's a really, that's really right. beautiful example. Uh, Omer, a Stanford student, comes to you and says, the Bible's 
full of lies and contradictions, and we know that Jesus was not a historical person, and you're a scientist, you know everything about what's going on in the brain, especially studying all your social sciences. Why in the world are you still a Christian? How do you respond? Yeah, I would say, let's talk about it. And, uh, and I think that, that for me, I would say that um, I totally understand where they're coming from. I have felt those things um, at, at various times. Um, uh, and that's okay. These are things that we can figure out together. And, uh, and it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be that either everything makes sense or nothing makes sense at all. And, uh, and that it's a journey. And I think that what a lot of Stanford students, really like college students, people who are academically minded, often what they appreciate is that um, you know, w- being willing to think critically about your own assumptions and presumptions in life. And uh, what I would say is that um, let's do that. Let's pursue that together. That, that I think that um, th- there's a way forward in which, um, you know, w- maybe, uh, maybe both of our beliefs would evolve in the process of having that discussion. But, uh, but by no means is, is, like, you know, having those doubts, uh, does that mean that it's a time to, like, quit the, the discussion altogether? That's beautiful. Would you uh, join me in thanking Tom and Omer for sharing? I really appreciate that so much.